All right. Uh, this morning we're continuing in our series in Leviticus. Uh, today we're going to look at chapters 21 and 22. Um, now, before we get started on that, I, I, a couple weeks ago, um, my son was uh, reading a book, it's an older book, it's like a chapter book for kids, um, and it just incidentally in the, in the narrative mentioned briefly uh, a fax machine, because it's an older book, it's a fax machine, and he said, Dad, what's a fax machine? And I was like, oh boy, um, how do I explain this? Because here's the thing, like we don't even have a, uh, we don't have a landline, and we don't even have a printer in my house. Like, we don't have a home printer. Without those two things, how do you explain what a fax machine is? Like, think about, think about it. Like, I know you all know what a fax machine is. But how do you explain to a nine-year-old what a fax machine is now? Like, it's not only, like, it's not only outdated technology, but it's outdated technology that doesn't even use the technology it was using at the time. Like, cause there's no, like he, I was trying to explain it, and he was kind of being like, well, why wouldn't they just send an email? I'm like, well, that, that didn't have it at that time. Like, well, why wouldn't they just, like, you know, send it over on the Internet? Like, the Internet doesn't exist, but it doesn't, that's not a thing. Like, they have to send the, the data over a phone line. Oh, like your cell phone? No, not like a cell phone. Right? It's, like, just so much of a leap backwards to try to understand it, and it's outdated, and he doesn't, and I, I said, like, but, at some, I like, you just don't need to know. There, there, there's no reason for you to know that. There's no reason for you to know how it worked. You're never going to have to think about it in your life. Just know that it, like, somehow magically sent paper information printing to a different printer, and the paper showed up. That's just how, it, it just, that's all you really need to know, right? This, these chapters are kind of like that. <laughs> so, <laughs> it doesn't that, boy, in seminary they said, you got to hook them. You get them in. <laughs> so, <laughs> I know that it's, it's going to be better than that. But it's just going to be kind of like reading an instruction manual for a fax machine. Because, <laughs> because we're back to the priests. So, so I, I put it in the study guide, but like the layout of Leviticus is in the fashion of Hebrew poetry, or really just a lot of like Hebrew um, uh, structure um, in, in terms of writing, was to do like uh, A, B, C, C, B, A. Like that. That's often how like the poetry would be laid out. And that's kind of what we see in Leviticus overall. I laid it out here, but he kind of first, they talk about like rituals. We talked about all of the sacrifices. Then they talk about the priests. Um, so we looked at their ordination. Then he talked about holiness, and it really talked about ritual purity. That's when we were talking about all the clean and unclean animals and those kind of things. Then in the middle, there's a, this section on the Day of Atonement that's kind of highlighted by the fact that it kind of stands on its own. And then it goes right back again to talking about holiness. It talked about um, holy living, and we, that's when we looked at um, a, lot of, a lot of rules and regulations about how we live. And now we're back to priests and we're going to look at specifically the qualifications for the priests uh, and some about the sacrifices again and then we'll end after this week we'll look at rituals again and we'll be looking at a lot of the festivals and some other things like that as we head toward 
wrapping up Leviticus. We'll be wrapping up Leviticus um, at the end of November, and then we'll do a, and we'll have a Christmas series after that. So, um, chapter 21, verses 1 through 24. Yahweh said to Moses, speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, no one shall make himself unclean for the dead among his people, except for his closest relatives, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, his brother, or his virgin sister, who is near to him because she has no husband, for her he may make himself unclean. He shall not make himself unclean as a husband among his people, and so profane himself. They shall not make bald patches on their heads, nor shave off the edges of their beards, nor make any cuts on their body. They shall be holy to God, and not profane the name of their God. For they offer the the Lord's food offerings, the bread of their God, therefore they shall be holy. They shall not marry a prostitute or a woman who has been defiled, Neither shall they marry a woman divorced from her husband, for the priest is holy to his God. He shall sanctify him, for he offers the bread of your God. He shall be holy to you, for I, the Yahweh who sanctify you, am holy. And the daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself by whoring, profanes her father, she shall be burned with fire. The priest who is chief among his brothers, on whose head the anointing oil is poured, and who has been consecrated to wear the garment, shall not let the hair of his head hang loose, nor tear his clothes. He shall not go into any dead bodies or make himself unclean, even for his father or for his mother. He shall not go out of the sanctuary, lest he profane the sanctuary of his God, for the consecration of the anointing oil of his God is on him. I am Yahweh. He shall take a wife in her virginity, a widow or a divorced woman, or a woman who has been defiled, or a prostitute. These he shall not marry. But he shall take as his wife a virgin of her own people, that he may not profane his offspring among his people, for I am Yahweh who sanctifies him. And Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, saying, None of your offspring throughout their generations who has a blemish may approach to offer the bread of his God. For no one who has a blemish shall draw near, a man blind or lame, one who has a mutilated face or a limb too long, or a man who has an injured foot or an injured hand, or a hunchback, or a dwarf, or a man with a defect in his sight, or an itching disease, or scabs, or crushed testicles. No man of the offspring of Aaron, the priest who has a blemish, shall come near to offer Yahweh's food offerings. Since he has a blemish, he shall not come to offer the bread of his God. He may eat the bread of his God, both of the most holy and the holy things, but he shall not go through the veil or approach the altar, because he has a blemish, that he may not profane my sanctuaries, for I am Yahweh who sanctifies them. So Moses spoke to Aaron and to his sons and to all the people of Israel. Okay, so let's break this down a little bit. First off, dead bodies. Contact with dead bodies would cause a person to be ritually unclean. Again, we talked about in the past that being unclean was something that happened to most Israelites a lot of the time, that they would be regularly unclean. Uh, It wasn't a sin to be unclean, but the priest should only make himself unclean through contact with the dead for a close family member. Because if they were to make themselves unclean, then he couldn't offer everyone else's sacrifices. So he needed to be limited who he would make himself unclean for. Obviously, people had to have contact with dead bodies, but the priest should only do so for a close family member. They also talk about the pagan mourning rituals that involved cutting one's hair, trimming one's beard, cutting the body in specific ways. This was banned in the previous chapters we just looked at. It's forbidden to any Israelite. It should specially be forbidden uh, for a priest, again, who's representing God, that he should not do uh, these things to, uh, as forms of pagan worship, to cut your hair in a certain way, make bald patches on your head, cut yourself in different ways. 
um, as a means of worshiping uh, and mourning and the pagan uh, gods that were there. A priest also had to make sure they were marrying a woman of, of pure moral character and their daughters as well uh, must have good sexual morals. Uh, he's, he's specific about not, not marrying somebody who has um, different connections to the community. He's got to maintain his reputation because again, he's representing God. The high priest actually even has higher standards we see in verses 10 through 15 than any of the other priests. He can't make himself unclean with dead bodies, even his parents. Even if his parents were to die, he should not have contact with the dead bodies. A priest says any kind of physical abnormality could not offer sacrifices. They could still eat the holy food along with the other priests, but they can't uh, do anything else. They, they, they can't have any kind of physical abnormality if they're going to approach the altar or go through the veil. The question we might ask is why do the priests have such high standards? The overall idea in Leviticus, as, as we talk about the tabernacle and people approaching the tabernacle, going into the tabernacle, the state of the tabernacle, is that it should remain clean. It should not be unclean. Obviously, sin should not be going in there, but also even any uncleanness or any consequences of the curse. God is trying to establish who He is and what He is and what is good and what is part of His blessing and what is part of the curse. So any of the consequences of the fall of mankind's rebellion against God should be kept out of the tabernacle. God is trying to dwell among His people in the tabernacle as they are continuing to experience the effects of the fall and continuing to live with the consequences of their sin and their sin that, and the sin itself. So they need to separate themselves from those things. So any effects of the fall should not be brought into the tabernacle. The number one effect of the fall is death. Right? Death entered the world when mankind rebelled against God, but also all sickness, all any, any abnormality, any deformity, anything like that is only the result of the fall. So only things that have not been touched by the fall in that way should be coming in. Now, it's, it's a fine line because obviously all of them are stained with sin. All of them have, uh, have, are, are not perfect. No one is perfect. But the priests represented God to the people, so they needed to be a reflection of His holiness to the largest extent that they could be, although obviously it's a flawed system and an imperfect system. We'll look next here at chapter 22, verses 1 through 16. Sorry, let me rewind one side. I realized there's one other thing that I wanted to address in this that, that brings up something from last week. Verse 9. Uh, the daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself by whoring, profanes her father, she shall be burned with fire. This is one of those things that I, I mentioned this just briefly last week. I wanted to expand on what I meant a little bit because I had some questions about it afterwards. Last week we looked at the, the passage that talks about all of the the penalties for these various sins. They included things from the death penalty um, for a lot of things. Uh, the, de the, the death penalty was in there for the law of Moses um, to being cut off from the people uh, to even childlessness. So 
there are all these penalties. And what I kind of said at the end of that chapter was, we aren't called to enforce any of these things. We aren't called to enforce any of these things. It tells us what, how God feels about those things, but we're not called to enforce any of those things. And that is true. That's still true that, that we are not, as the church, called to enforce these things. Israel was being called to enforce these things as they were governing themselves. When they were in charge of governing themselves, when they were a nation unto themselves, they were charged with enforcing these laws and the penalties for breaking these laws, including this one. It doesn't change the fact that we're not to enforce those things because we can't. I mean, if we did, we would all be arrested, right? Most of these are the death penalty. If we're going around and start to kill people, we're going to go to jail right? That's not, that's not part of what we are called to do. But it doesn't change the fact that those things are sin, right? And still obviously sin. So here, where it says that this girl going around and, and prostituting herself, that is obviously sin, right? Obviously, that's outside of God's design for sex and how we are meant to function, um, but we're not going to be burning anybody with fire. That's not, as the church what we are called to do. All right, now we'll look at verses 1 through 16 of chapter 22. Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons so that they abstain from the holy things of the people of Israel which they dedicate to me, so that they do not profane my holy name, I am Yahweh. Say to them, If any one of all your offspring throughout your generations approaches the holy things that the people of Israel dedicate to Yahweh, while he has an uncleanness, that person shall be cut off from my presence. I am Yahweh. None of the offspring of Aaron who has a leprous disease or a discharge may eat of the holy things until he is clean. Whoever touches anything that is unclean through contact with the dead or a man who has an emission of semen and whoever touches a swarming thing by which he may be made unclean or a person from whom he may take uncleanness, whatever his uncleanness may be, the person who touches such a thing shall be unclean until the evening and shall eat not eat of the holy things unless he has bathed his body in water. When the sun goes down, he shall be clean. Afterward, he may eat of the holy things because they are his food. He shall not eat what dies of itself or is torn by beasts and so make himself unclean by it. I am Yahweh. They shall therefore keep my charge lest they bear sin for it and die thereby when they profane it. I am Yahweh who sanctifies them. A lay person shall not eat of a holy thing. No foreign guest of the priest or a hired worker shall eat of a holy thing. But if the priest buys a slave as his property for money, the slave may eat of it. And anyone born of his house may eat of his food. If a priest's daughter marries a layman, she shall not eat of the contribution of the holy things. But if a priest's daughter is widowed or divorced and has no child and returns to her father's house as in her youth, she may eat of her father's food yet no lay person shall eat of it. And if anyone eats of a holy thing unintentionally, he shall add a f- the fifth of its value to it and give the holy thing to the priests. They shall not profane the holy things of the people of Israel, which they contribute to Yahweh, and so cause them to bear iniquity and guilt by eating their holy things, for I am Yahweh who sanctifies them. So this covers the holy food. This talks about the holy food, the priest's portion of the holy food the priest should should only eat their portion of the offerings it would be inappropriate for them to eat the portions of the offerings that are dedicated to Yahweh it's essentially telling them hey when someone offers a burnt offering or you're offering the fat like you are not to eat those things that are dedicated to Yahweh you eat 
your portion, you dedicate that what is dedicated to, to God as his. The common of people of Israel could not offer their sacrifices while they're unclean, and likewise, the priests could not eat their portion of the offerings while they are unclean. Right, so this is again why it's a bigger deal for the priests to be unclean. They're interacting with the tabernacle every day. If you were a lay person in Israel, you could be unclean and just not go to the tabernacle that day, not offer your sacrifices during that time. If you're a priest and you're unclean, then you can't go and work in the tabernacle. Right? You can't actually do those things, which is how you get your food. So it was a much more difficult situation for them to become unclean and they couldn't even eat their portions of the offerings while they were unclean. There's a question answered here in, in chapters 10 through 16 of who can eat the priest's portion. Uh, because laypersons, foreigners, those hired by the priests, they could not eat from the priest's portions. Right? If the priest were to hire someone, he could not feed them from his portion of the offerings. Um, normal laypersons in Israel could not eat of it and foreigners certainly couldn't eat it but if a priest bought a slave they could eat from the priest's portion now i know that's a difficult thing for us to understand go like wait they're just talking about slavery as though it's normal but it was it was and and there are also lots of charges essentially for for israelites to be good slave owners now we can wrestle with the, the reality of like, well, is that good or bad and, and all those kind of things. But it was the reality of life at the time that this was just commonplace. It was really often how, what, took the, what took the place of that system in history, throughout history, was employment. For a long time, we didn't have really normal employment where someone worked for someone and just got money. Like there are some hired laborers, but that would usually be a temporary situation where you'd be hired for a day or two or something like that you didn't have permanent employment slavery of this kind was essentially permanent employment you were supported by uh, your owner you were supported by the the slave master and so he's saying here if a priest owns a slave he feeds him from his portion because it's essentially part of his family and part of those that he is responsible for taking care of Those who are in the priest's family could eat of the priest's portion. And it also gets very specific that a priest's daughter who married a layman could no longer eat of the priest's portion. But if she then becomes widowed or divorced and returns to her father's house, then she can. It's a question of who is supporting her, whose family is she a part of. And so when she is a part of her father's family, she can't eat of the priest's portion. But when she's not, she cannot. Last section we'll look at here today in Leviticus, we'll look at some other uh, verses here at the end, is Leviticus 22, 17-33. Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and all the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of the house of Israel or of the sojourners in Israel presents a burnt offering as his offering for any of their vows or freewill offerings that they offer to Yahweh, if it is to be accepted for you, it shall be a male without blemish, of the bulls or the sheep or the goats. You shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it will not be acceptable for you. And when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to Yahweh to fulfill a vow, or as a freewill offering from the herd or from the flock to be accepted, it must be perfect. There shall be no blemish in it. 
animals blind or disabled or mutilated or having a discharge or an itch or scabs, you shall not offer to Yahweh to give them to Yahweh as a food offering on the altar. You may present a bull or a lamb that is a part too long or too short for a freewill offering, but for a vow offering it cannot be accepted. Any animal that has testicles bruised or crushed or torn or cut, you shall not offer to Yahweh. You shall not do it within your land. Neither shall you offer as the bread of your God any such animals gotten from a foreigner. Since there is a blemish in them because of their mutilation, they will not be accepted for you. And Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, when an ox or a sheep or goat is born, it shall remain seven days with its mother. And from the eighth day on, it shall be acceptable as a food offering from Yahweh. You shall not kill an ox or a sheep or, and her young in one day. And when you sacrifice a sacrifice of thanksgiving to Yahweh, you shall sacrifice it so it may be accepted. It shall be eaten on the same day. You shall leave none of it until morning. I am Yahweh. You shall keep my commandments and do them. I am Yahweh. You shall not profane my holy name that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. I am Yahweh who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am Yahweh. So burnt offerings or for vow or freewill offerings should be a male without blemish. This would be an acceptable offering. Peace offerings should also be unblemished. A bull or a lamb that had a part too long or too short, which is kind of a funny idea, but when he says if they had a, a part that was too long or too short, those could be offered as a freewill offering, but not to fulfill a vow. Animals... Uh, with damaged testicles were also unacceptable. What's the point of this? The point of this is that God didn't want this sacrificial system to become a means of disposing uh, of unwanted animals. Right? It shouldn't become the fact of like, oh, we don't have uh, this, this animal. It's getting ready to die. Let's, uh, let's go sacrifice him. Then we get, we get rid of this problem and we get a little credit with God. You know what I mean? pretty good deal right that that's what he's trying to that's a system that he's trying to avoid when he's giving all these rules right that there would be plenty of animals that they would be ready to be rid of they shouldn't use they shouldn't use the altar essentially as a garbage can right it shouldn't be a means of getting rid of these things right it shouldn't be a means of getting rid of this stuff and and oftentimes, and that's, that's instructive for us as well, as we consider what do we give to God, right? There are plenty of times when our answer to like, oh, can we, you know, can I, can I serve in some ministry or can I do something? You know, like, I don't have anything better to do. I guess I might as well, right? Versus do you ever give anything up to God that matters to you? Or does he only get the time that you would have just been wasting anyway? That's kind of a good question for us to consider in relationship to this instruction on acceptable offerings. It also instructs that animals could be offered only after it had been alive for seven days. They needed to be at least eight days old uh, before they were sacrificed. And that Israelites are forbidden from killing an animal and her young on the same day. Now, this again might seem like a little bit of a strange uh, instruction, but it's kind of in harmony with a few other instructions from um, Deuteronomy from, uh, fr- from the Pentateuch here. So I want you to consider how these are kind of similar. Deuteronomy 22, 6 through 7 says that if you come across a bird's nest in any tree or on the ground with young, young ones or eggs, and the mother sitting on the young or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall let the mother go, 
but the young you may take for yourself that, you, that it may go well with you and that you may live long. And then Deuteronomy 14.21, that you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. So there's kind of this, these kind of related passages that are, like, as I read them, like, my, my gut reaction is that, like, these are regulations that are just, like, good for your heart. Like, it just, that would be kind of cruel for you to do these things that he's telling you not to do. Um, but I think in a deeper way, it's meant to be honoring God's design for uh, creation's flourishing, right? That creation is designed to reproduce, to be fruitful and multiply, and that we should not be doing things that essentially end that process. That we shouldn't be doing things that would kind of destroy God's design for how these things are meant to function. But an interesting side note, this, uh, this regulation, you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk, is why modern day Orthodox Jews don't eat cheeseburgers. Maybe not interesting. I don't know. I thought, <laughs> I thought it was. I think it is. Maybe not. All right. Okay, so I, I want to wrap up by talking about this because obviously, like I said, that was kind of, did you feel like that? You kind of feel like you were reading a, a, a fax machine instruction manual? A little bit. It's not, really, it's not really relevant to us anymore, right? Any of those things. Like none of us are priests. None of us are going to be priests. There's the sacrificial system is done, but that's because of the unblemished one. It's because of who Jesus was. So the question of what do I do with this information, like, cool, I know all this stuff about how the Old Testament priests worked and what their qualifications were. What does that do for me? Knowing the strict regulations that had to be observed by the priests under the Old Covenant sacrificial system helps us to understand what Jesus has done. That's what I want you to see, is that understanding these things and understanding how difficult this process was and how strict this system was and how unblemished the priests had to be and how unblemished the sacrifices had to be helps us to understand who Jesus is and what He did. The Apostle Peter had this in mind when he wrote his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 1, 13-19, says, therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear during the time of your exile. Knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We just see that Jesus is the unblemished lamb. He's the spotless, sacrificial lamb. He's the unblemished high priest. Right? He is the, the priest without blemish that never was not, was not unclean, that was unstained by sin. And it's His precious blood that ransomed us from the feudal ways inherited from our forefathers, from the ways of the world. It is Him and His unblemished nature that freed us from these things. We see in Hebrews chapter 9, 
where the author of Hebrews has this in mind as well, where he says, when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands that is not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places. Right there he's picturing the tabernacle. And he says the more perfect tent, he's talking about tabernacle. Tabernacle essentially just means tent. And he's saying that Jesus is the more perfect tabernacle. He entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats or calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit got offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. This passage tells us that Jesus is that unblemished sacrifice. He's the spotless Lamb. He's the perfect righteousness that has become our own. He makes us unblemished because He covers us with His blood. So he saved us from that system. And, and he points out the fact, the author of Hebrews there kind of points out the fact that like, hey, if the blood of, both, of goats and bulls and in other places, the New Testament talks about the fact that that is essentially ineffectual, right? That it has to be offered year after year. So therefore it doesn't take away sins, right? It only temporarily covers them. It only temporarily grants them. This is not an effectual system, it's also something, that I, something that, I, that I think it's important to keep in mind. Sometimes, as we've been going through Leviticus, and even as we went through Exodus, and this, a lot of these laws started to be put out, people kind of say, I can't believe they did all that stuff. Or, I can't believe that they did that, that they did all of these sacrifices. I can't believe that they did all of these things, that the tabernacle worked in this way, that, they, that Israel followed the system. And I always have to remind them, like, well, they didn't really. Not for, that, not for that much time. If you look at their history, the amount of time that they were doing this well is very small. Most of the time they were failing. Most of the time they did not do what God had asked them to do. Most of the time they strayed from this. Most of the time they lived in their sin and they uh, strayed and they made a mockery of the sacrificial system and they dishonored the altar. And so God sends his prophets who are essentially constantly telling them, you're not doing this well. Even when you are offering the sacrifices, you're so far from me in your heart. You're not doing this well. The point of these things is not to show that, hey, if they did this, that they would be saved. The Apostle Paul points out that the point of the law is to show us that we are imperfect, that we are not capable that we need greater sanctification, that we need greater atonement, and that only comes through Jesus. He is the answer to all of these things. He's the replacement for all of these things. And His unblemished blood causes us to be deemed unblemished when we put our faith in Him. When we put our faith in Him, when we trust and accept the forgiveness that He has offered us, when we make Him our Lord by giving our lives to Him and telling Him that we'll follow Him with the rest of our lives, then He makes us unblemished. That He causes His Spirit to dwell within us. gives us the ability to live holy lives. To be, as Peter says, holy for God is holy. I'll wrap up with this. Three takeaways for today's message. Number one, recognize God's perfect holiness free 
from the effects of the curse. It is a good reminder, like as difficult as that thought is of how they had to be unblemished and how they had to have all of these things. They could be, couldn't be unclean and all this to approach God, to recognize that God does have perfect holiness, that he is separate from us. He's free from the effects of the curse. Number two, we can rejoice that Jesus was our perfect unblemished sacrifice. And lastly, we can allow him to sanctify us by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray here in just a second, and then we'll take communion together in, re- in remembrance of Jesus' broken body and shed blood. And then uh, we'll uh, sing one final song, and then after that we'll have a prayer team. If you'd like prayer for anything, they would love to pray for you. You can come up right over here, and they'd love to pray for you. Would you bow with me now? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. Even, uh, even as so much of it does not apply directly to us, we thank you that, that we can read and know how these things worked, that we can see uh, your heart in it, that we can see your holiness in it. And we thank you that you sent Jesus to be the replacement for this system, that he is the unblemished high priest, he's the unblemished sacrifice, and that his blood is effectual to forgive us from our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, So I pray this morning, God, that we would dedicate ourselves to you, that we would rest in your righteousness, knowing that you have covered us. Pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.